welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome to another show of Soberholics. It's my announcer voice. It sounds really good. You like it? Yeah. You should be a car salesman or something. (laughs) Well, we are in full swing of summer. It is fully summer out there. I'll agree with you because a few weeks ago you said that we were there and we wasn't there. Um, I think we're getting there now. It's happened now and I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I made a summer reading list like maybe about three weeks ago and I've read zero pages of it. Dude, I've seen the books you read. I can understand why. <laughs> I got I got that one you gave me though. Well, that's an easy one. I mean, I if you can't read even... that one, you ought to just quit. I know. But like, I, I saw the quote the other day. It said, "Life is just a series of circumstances that prevents you from reading." Hmm. And that's kind of where I feel I'm stuck at right now. I'm not being able to read the the list. And you know how I am about lists. I yeah. like to check the list off. So Life's also like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, today we're going to be talking about some, some good stuff. And I say, we, you know, I don't think we've ever came on here and said, you know, today's going to be a horrible show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today I really i am excited about today's show for a lot of different reasons. But one is because we've got a friend on the show. Yeah. So... And um, Lacey, we've got Lacey Reed on the show with us today. Yay, Lacey. <laughs> Yay, Lacey. <laughs> You're a little scared over there. A little bit. Not really scared, just a little different. Just out of my comfort zone a little. It is. I mean, it's different talking on a microphone. It is. Um, but the good thing is you're among friends, yes. so you don't have to worry about a whole safe lot. Place. You safe know. place. This is a safe space? This is a safe space. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Well, well probably not. <laughs> you know, I can't necessarily say that, but um, we won't make fun of you too much. Okay. Uh, no, but for real, um, you know, we, we get to do church together. We do CR together. We do a lot of things um, you know, you even serve on our team at CR. And so it's been cool to, to watch you grow, not only in Christ, but in your recovery. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is your recovery and, and, you know, what God's done in your life and kind of how that has looked from even as far back as you can remember. And I've got the opportunity, or we both have had the opportunity to hear your testimony. And that's one of the reasons we asked you to come on the show um, you talk about in CR that you struggle with food addiction. That's right. That is absolutely right. And been, I guess, for the majority of your life, you can see that. Yes, from as far back as I can remember, probably eight years old, uh, seven or eight years old, has been something that I have struggled with. Even at thirty-nine, I'm still struggling. Yeah. So yes. The coolest thing I saw the when we when I first was reading through your testimony and I heard you give it. Aside but, from the fact that it was originally thirty eight pages, <laughs> oh, that was so good. Uh, yeah, the first time you wrote your testimony out, my wife is your sponsor, right. so you wrote it out and it turned out to be thirty eight pages. Oh, I thought you were exaggerating. No, no. it was literally thirty eight pages. Like Tight. when I when I wrote the book Tight. Soberholic, <laughs> when I wrote Soberholic, it was only forty five pages. The original manuscript. Now her was double space but still 38 pages come on now gotta cut it down a little bit um fortunately i didn't have to read that much detail when i read your your finished copy of your testimony but 
in that testimony, you talked about your granny uh, mm-hmm. or your grandmother, but you know, I call my grandmother granny. And uh-huh. I don't know what you call mm-hmm. yours. But um, you talked about how she just liked to cook more than you could eat a lot of times. And man, I, I, Jason, can did you have somebody like that in your family that just would always cook more than you needed and just always try to shove food in your face? Yeah, that's that was my mom. My mom is that person. It doesn't matter. I can say that I just ate and go over to her house and show up, and she still wants to cook me something. Like it happened yesterday. It happened yesterday. My my mother in law is the same way. I mean, it's just if she, I'll fix you a little something, honey. No, no, ma'am, no, I'll come get it because it's always more than you can eat. Big old place, right? My grandmother was okay. I grew up in a, a field in the middle of West Blockton, basically. I know that sounds crazy, but my parents and I lived in a house, and then through a field, my grandparents lived, and then across the. Sh- dirt road from that my aunt and uncle lived so we all were very close and I was an only child and so my grandmother would come down to our house in the mornings when my parents would go to work at like 5 30 and she would wake me up she would fix me breakfast she would pick me up from the bus and always had a snack and then she would be cooking a really big greasy delicious (laughs) meal for our family (laughs) so that's it was like that forever until my parents got divorced and I moved away from her. But, yeah, that was definitely a typical Southern grandmother. That word snack has become a cuss word oh. around my house. Mm-hmm. My kids always come and go, I want a snack. I want a snack. <laughs> oh, I'm like, no snacks. Eat some food. Eat a real <laughs> meal. <laughs> but, um, so, in your testimony, you talk a lot about just, you know, food in general being, um, you know, I guess trigger may be the best way. But, you know, there was times you just used food as a way of coping. I have now I realize that even even at that young age, um, when things were going on that I was nervous about, uh, my parents fought a, a good bit. And, well, I say a good bit. That's putting it a little bit mildly. Um, they fought a lot. And food was something I knew was accessible. It was something that I knew was just mine um it had nothing to do with anybody else and so i believe that as a as a small kid like i i kind of made that my my comfort um and then as i got a little bit older i realized again that you know that's something that that i can do um through you know pressures that i might have felt for one reason or another food was something that i was good at and so i was like well hey I'm good at this. I'm going to go, I'm going to be really good at it. So I ate a lot <laughs> and just excelled at eating. <laughs> an overachiever, right? Oh, yeah, an overachiever. That's a good word. <laughs> Absolutely a good word. Um, but it, it seems like, and like I said, I know this now, I didn't then, but it seems like whenever I was going through something where I felt like I was not good enough or I was failing or struggling to, to do something or to complete a task or something like that. I was like, well, let me just go eat something because I knew that I could do that. And so I think that that's really what happened. And then it became a habit. And, you know, those habits are not easy to stop. <laughs> well, all of us, um, we all have children here. And I've got them ranged from, you know, seven up to 17 right now. And I know if I was to look at my seven-year-old and talk to her, she wouldn't ever have really self-image issues at this age. But if I got on up to the one in the middle who was maybe 12 or so, he might see himself as a little overweight. When, when was it for you that you began seeing 
weight is an issue? Um, I know that I was in elementary school, probably fourth grade, I want to say, um, maybe earlier than that, but I started getting made fun of. And people, you you know, calling me fat and just, you know, terrible names like that. And being a, a girl, I think that that's a little extra, uh, I don't know, hard-hitting. Um, so I just know that people started saying that. And I was like, well, I mean, I know what I look like, but so, you know, what's the big deal? And I was a very shy kid, believe that or not. I was very <laughs> shy. And I was very quiet. I didn't. I made really good grades. I was... I was like, why are these people making fun of me, you know? And so I kind of started noticing that. And also, um, I took karate. This actually just came to me. Uh, I used to take karate. Um, I was actually really good at karate, just for the record. Um, (laughs) Got lots of big trophies for kicking boys, you know, beating them them in the competitions. But I remember one morning I was getting ready to go, and I put the, the, whatever it's called, jacket on, and the tie was hard to tie. Like, the ends of it, I remember thinking I looked really ridiculous because the ends of the belt was weren't hanging down like other kids did. And I was like, I remember being upset about that. And so, that I think I was 9 or 10 when that happened. So, I remember school clothes shopping got a little difficult. We had to go up sizes, and I wasn't, it wasn't comfortable. But, I mean, I want, I want to say that that was... Every year after that, now that I'm really thinking about it, every year from about fourth grade on, there was some kind of being made fun of for some reason or another um, about my weight. And it just kept climbing because, again, you know, I'm getting upset because you're making fun of me. So, hey, let me eat. <laughs> so it, so it, it's like it turns into a cycle. Cycle, yes. Like where that emotional pain from getting made fun of just fuels back in. Right on it it's kind of a mentality of well if i'm gonna be big anyway if i'm gonna have this issue anyway why not just go all into it yeah i'll show you yeah 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 sounds a lot like i mean that's right yeah Yeah. Yeah. and i you know and i'm i I understand addiction through my own struggle with addiction which is drugs and alcohol and i've always seen you know food addiction as really in in a sense a lot harder of addiction to overcome than mine because you know it's it's you have to eat you know and so somebody broke it down to me one day and was like well if you had to take a little bit of heroin every day to to live you know what would that look like for you i'd be like i i mean i don't I don't know how I could do that that's really really surprising to hear you say that because most the general consensus of that I've seen of people reacting to people saying food addiction, they're like, oh, no, that's not a real addiction. That's not a real problem. You can stop doing that. You can eat better. No, I can't. Like you said, you know, you have to eat. It's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know because I don't, drugs and alcohol is not my biggest issue. I mean, I've had, I'm excessive. So yeah, I've done some stuff, but in that arena, but that's not been my biggest thing. But I'm always like, you you, I can't just stop that. You know, you literally can. Drugs and alcohol, you can stop that, and hey, that's for the better. But you stop eating, you die. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like kind of backwards. Well, I just, you know, of course, I look at <clears throat> Facebook, and I'm this social media guy who just looks at everybody else's lives, wishing mine was as good as theirs. <laughs> but, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> but uh, there was this guy who had just posted on there. He, he, um, he's a bodybuilder, and, um, and he was – taking a picture of his food like a lot of people do and it was literally just hamburger meat um you know just 
fried up hamburger meat. That was it. Not, there was no nothing to it. I think he had some Worcestershire sauce to it, and that was that was his meal. No vegetables, just pure hamburger meat. And um, he wrote the caption underneath it, and he said, um, "Eat to live, not live to eat." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Wow," because that's that's really me. Like my weekends, a lot of times invo are involved about where we're going to go eat. Right. My wife don't choose because I get so consumed with this new great place, this fantastic food we can go eat rather than just the nourishment that comes from exactly. it. Exactly. And I think that's where you can kind of get obsessive with it. I know I can. There's a lot of, um, I don't like added stress, but kind of like it, it's a lot harder to eat right and in a healthy way than it is to do most anything in my life. Even now I'm, it, I constantly have to think about what am I going to eat for breakfast that's not going to push me over the edge or a trigger. Like, kind of like you you, know, you hear, if I eat this toast, that's going to be a trigger to make me want to eat way more of everything else that I know I shouldn't be putting into my body. Um, so it's, it's, it's a constant thought in the back of my mind. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm learning to not let it be obsessive in that direction because it can go either way. Right. Either you eat too much or you don't, and then that's also a problem. You track too much, you write too much down. You know, it, it can be, it's really difficult. Well, I know one of the things that you, you mentioned in your testimony uh, that I heard that stood out to me was um, a period of time, and maybe even happens now, um, I, I know our listeners can hear you, your personality now and just see that it's easy to get to like you and to know you. Um, and, and that's true. I've, just, <laughs> I've always said that. You know, sometimes it's hard to get to, to communicate with someone. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to break a barrier. You don't really have that. You're just kind of open and can talk to real easy. And so I know it looks like that's kind of been your life. I know you said you were shy at one time, but um, you made, made the comment that it was – easy to be a friend that people saw you as a friend and sometimes that's as far as it ever went right um i was very good at being a friend um because because I, I think i am easy to talk to but one thing i think one thing that changed in my brain when i was probably in my teenage years was okay i'm still kind of getting made fun of i'm still feeling like i'm not good enough for these girls or the popular girls and so i I was I was funny and I was nice. I wasn't what you call popular, but I wasn't on the other end of that either. I guess um, I was okay. <laughs> you weren't in my class with the junkies and, no, and the stoners. I was not. I was not that, but I was also not the pageant queen, majorette. You know that situation. I was in band, so I was a bit of a nerd. Band, yeah, right. I know. And you played the same thing. What did you play? Trumpet. Trumpet. Me too. Yeah. See. Yeah. So I was like right there. I was a Jason. So. I made fun of you guys when I was in school. <laughs> right? But well, I wasn't wearing like the band letter jackets or none of that. Oh, see, I, I mean, totally have a letterman's jacket. Uh, I didn't wear it, you know, except for when we went to game. That's beside the point. Anyway, um, anyway so I... <laughs> Look, I forgot the question. So, I do know the question. So, I know that I overcompensated. That's what I was trying to say. Um, I was nice. I was funny. But because I didn't have that other stuff going for me, I overdid it. And I'm not saying it was really, it was fake, but I, you know, made sure to get that laugh in. I made sure to be extra, extra funny or extra sarcastic or whatever the case may be. But then I started, you know, really liking boys and wanting that boyfriend. And I was already really good friends. Um, 
with boys and girls. But I I got along with guys better, I think, because I wasn't – I didn't feel like I was competing with guys. Um, and so, you know, of course, I'm 14 years old. I, you want a boyfriend? Nobody needs a boyfriend at 14. <laughs> That's a disclaimer. <laughs> now that you've got kids, you realize right. that. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But – I didn't, that was never how people saw me. Or if they did, I sure didn't know about it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not how people saw me. But I was really good at being the friend. Um, but it was hard. It got really hard to just just be that. You know, seeing these guys that I had little crushes on or whatever, they have these cute little girlfriends. And I'm like, well, you still call me and you still talk to me. And we're, we're friends and we get along, but why am I not good enough? Mm. And so that also... Well, well, look at that. Remember, you can eat, Lacey. So then you just get bigger. I'm like, well, I got this good personality and such a pretty face. That was a classic of growing up. You got a pretty face and a good personality. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's the problem? (laughs) I know what the problem was. (laughs) Well, you know, this is probably one of the more intimate questions I've ever asked any of our people here. And the only reason I ask this is because you openly shared this when you shared your testimony. But, um, you know, you talk about that struggle with, with boyfriends and that that feeling of wanting to be needed or wanted. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about when you lost your virginity. That is a, it's a weird question because... I have, for the most of my entire life, um, I have, not most of my life, but since I thought that I lost my virginity, I thought I was 20 years old. I remember a situation happening, and then um, when I was starting to write my testimony for CR, I had a memory that I had forgotten, apparently. I know that sounds a little crazy, but I I kind of, uh, I don't know, something was opened up when I started doing the testimony, mm. and I remembered an incident that... Happened with a friend of mine, a guy friend of mine. We were we were really close for a lot of years. I actually did try to date, and I'm doing air quotes for those of you, you know, y'all can't see me. <laughs> we tried to date. Uh, didn't quite work <laughs> several times. But things were happening with us, um, physical things going a little too far. And I I knew that that, that was easy for him to, to approach me about because nobody, you know, I'm not... I'm not that girl. Again, I'm not the, oh, you got a great body, you got all this stuff. That was not me, but I was I was close to him. I cared about him. And what I what I remembered was that one night um, we were, he was at my house for some reason. That was, that was a mistake. But he was at my house and I woke up and he was on, he was on top of me and things were happening. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I, I didn't plan on this. I did not give my consent. It was not something that I really wanted to happen. But I also very clearly remembered that I was okay with it only for the fact that that he finally wanted me. It was I was finally being, I don't know, accept, not accepted, but I forget the exact words that I used when I actually wrote, wrote that down. Um, sounded better than what I'm doing now. But... <laughs> It, I felt grateful. That's the word I use. I was I was grateful that I was getting paid that kind of attention to. And you know. well, I think all of our listeners can relate to that in some form or fashion because I think we've all made 
um, a decision to do something that we normally would not have done mm-hmm. in, in, in hopes that we maybe get something else out of it. Right. And, and, you know, in your situation, it sounded like, you know, you just wanted to have that relation, that love, that mm-hmm. to, someone to want you. And um, I know I've, I've done those things in my own life. And so um, I thought that was just powerful that you were willing to share that because oftentimes it's those things in our testimonies that make such a difference for someone else. Right. Because, you know, it's easy to hide behind a mask and never really share about some of the things that we maybe wish we would, had not done. And I saw that you, you shared that with such transparency that um, you've kind of moved through that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I know you and your husband now, y'all are happy and you love one another. And you're able to talk about those things because that's not who you are today. Right. And so it's cool to say those things, but I think our listeners could just learn a lot from just that little bit of what you've shared. Um, you know, you moved on to like into your... 20s sometime or another <laughs> and you talked about how you you went through a gastric bypass so, you I know did. your weight had become an issue for you uh, you even gave your your height and your weight stats through all of that did to, help, <laughs> to make your point and um yes, I did. And so it was cool to, to see you talk about those that that period of your life what brought you to the point where you felt like you needed to do that um well like i said earlier Ever since I was small, <laughs> small, I was young, I, I did battle with, with weight. And when I got to be, you know, when I was in high school, I did try a pretty rigid um, eating plan. And that was, that was terrible for a teenager. Um, didn't need to mix those crazy hormones with lack of nutrients. So that wasn't the best idea. But after I graduated high school, I just continue to get bigger and then after the incident that we just talked about with the guy friend it got worse and I kind of spiraled into a pretty big depression anxiety I have anxiety anyway but that was just a really I call it my dark period dark time in my life where I didn't do anything like I, I just truly can see now that I did not care about myself at all and I would try to lose weight and I would but then it would come right back. Um, I just didn't have any discipline or didn't have that, that staying power, which is not there with it. And so I started doing research on gastric bypass surgery. Now, at this time, like I said, I had gotten up to about, I'm five feet tall. And that's, you know, I'm supposed to weigh somewhere around 108 to 115 pounds or something. Yeah, I don't. But <laughs> I do not, I never have. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's that's the, the typical thing of what I'm supposed to do. So I had gotten to about, I think when I went in for surgery, I was 296.4. So right at 300 pounds, I was very much a circle. And I had been, I know, I know you're laughing. A I had, circle. <laughs> I was, I was a circle. I had no shape whatsoever. And I was miserable too. But I had started doing research on the surgery because... Now, I'm gonna, this, here's a disclaimer. I would like to say that that was the only choice, and I still think that it was close to the only choice I had at the time. Um, but I would like to say that I did this for purely health reasons, and I need to, you know, be healthy. I need to be a better, have a better, I don't know, view about myself. I don't know, but that is just not true. I wanted to look better. I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted to get married. I wanted that happy Cinderella story. So I started doing research on the surgery, which I did for about a year. 
but in the in the meantime i'm still not really changing my eating habits and so i um had really good insurance at the time and i looked at their qualifications and so i made sure that i fit those qualifications and i started having high blood pressure which i mean that wasn't i didn't do that on purpose i didn't mean for that to sound like that but i started having health issues i started passing out just in just sitting sitting in a chair um because you're five feet tall you should not weigh 300 pounds that's putting a lot of strain on your organs Mm -hmm. and so i just did a lot of research and fit the bill and so i had it done it it was i'm gonna say it was it was probably one of the best decisions that i've made simply because i think that happened by accident um because it 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 changes everything the surgery i don't know a lot of people don't know people a lot of people say it's the easy way out you're just taking the easy way out that is not true because your stomach can expand um you go back to your same habits you go back to your same practices you're going to stretch your stomach back out and so but it also when you have that drastic of a surgery it changes your your hormones and so i had to do a lot of counseling on what's going to happen afterwards and it was very true i mean your whole body goes into a big shock and so i came out of that surgery not thinking the same about myself um i did what i was supposed to i did my exercises right i did the eating right it was it was great. I lost it, 141 pounds in almost a year. It didn't take wow. yeah. It didn't take. It took like nine months, and, and but I did it the way I was supposed to. I wasn't it was, and I didn't get obsessive surprisingly, um, but I got confident. Like I gained people started noticing me. Those boys. I mean not not the same boys, but people would look at me. You know I wasn't just a good personality or whatever. I actually had you know people interested. And so that was a big confidence booster. And so I did start to think a little bit differently about myself. But in the end, again, I was really good with that for about, I don't know, almost 10 years. And then I started going back into the same same patterns and then started gaining weight. And so it became an issue again. That, that year that you were doing the research and trying to figure yeah. out if it was good, did you ever find yourself like in front of your computer and like maybe wondering if okay it's like i say this because i know my past but did you ever like sit down and try to read it and learn all the health benefits or or maybe not benefits of doing it while you're sitting there eating cupcakes or or cheetos and going oh is this going to be for me i i did sadly i did and i remember my mom did not want me to do the surgery and she would know she would i would be i lived with her at the time and so she was um no i didn't i was just over there a lot that's not the right year but (laughs) she would she would hear me saying this stuff but see nothing you know i was changing nothing like I, i did not care about changing my the ways that i was eating beforehand so she would you know gently try to persuade me that's a lie she would try to tell me to not you know you don't need to do the surgery blah blah blah. i'm like yes i do while i'm fixing a big hamburger and french greasy french fries and stuff you know so yes i did do that i say that because of the insanity that came with my addiction that i would want to quit drugs or whatever i'd be calling the rehabs while i'm sitting there doing dope right and um you know like I was making no change. It was almost like a wishful thought that maybe this could go away one day. It's that battle. I mean, we all have that, whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, whatever the case may be. I think it's an internal struggle. And everybody's looking for that magic bullet. Mm -hmm. 
you know, did you see that surgery yet? This is the magic bullet that's going to just cure all my problems. Did you look at it like that? I did because in the research, you know, I looked at a lot of before and after stories. And so I knew what could physically happen to a body. And so I knew that's why, I mean, I went into it. I don't, I don't do things halfway, really. Um, not at all. And so I was like, if I'm going to commit to doing this big of a, a change, this drastic of a change to myself, I'm not going to screw it up. So, well, I, I think of the, the insanity. You ever seen that show, Biggest Loser? Yes. Me and my wife, we used to watch this all the time, and we were trying to lose weight during that time. But, like, we would go in there, and <clears throat> when it came up, we would pre record it because I don't like watching the commercials. We would pre record it, we'd kind of get ready to go watch the, the show, and that would be like, go get some ice cream right? and all <laughs> the things we needed to sit down and watch these other people do what we wanted to do. But, you know, we would watch them do all the exercises and all that stuff to lose the weight and like cheer them on, but go, you know, could you go get me something else right. to eat or drink? See, I didn't think it was going to be a, um, I knew it was going to be work. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, just that magic thing, but I did think that I did, I knew it was going to make me smaller. And in my mind, smaller was going to be, cause I already had the personality and the pretty face, so to speak. And so, I figured if I just get that body to go with it, then of course I'm going to be happy because that's what's going to make me happy. Mm -hmm. So yes and, and no. Yeah. I knew that it was, if I didn't do what I was supposed to, then it was going to go backwards and I'd be right back in the same place. So when did you come to a point where you decided that food was more than just a problem, that it really is maybe become an addiction for you? I, I really think, and now I've always known that I had issues with it because it's always been that struggle, but I really think that it was, hmm, my husband and I were going through a really rough time and in 2016, and I, that's when I think that it really that I really started eating more and more. Um, cause he, he also, I, I, this is fine for me to say, I've already asked his permission. Um, but he had addiction issues also, and he went into a rehab. And during that time, I knew that CR was, was something, you know, I had heard of it by this time, but I, I didn't like, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, because I was, you know, home by myself and didn't know how to deal with what he was going through, what we were going through. Didn't know if I really wanted to keep doing that. And so, of course, I'm going to start eating again. And then I, I actually didn't really, he got out of, I'm sorry, he got out of rehab and started doing CR and I never could go. Uh, I knew that I, because I grew up in a, with an addiction um, and my dad was in a, had an addiction, and so I, I was familiar with it. It's been all my life, been around addiction of some kind or another, and I just never thought of myself as really having that. But when he and my husband went through CR, the, the very first thing that happened, um, I was upset because I couldn't go. I had my work schedule wouldn't let me do that, and I'm like, well, I want to be involved in some way. I wasn't trying to actually go through a study. Of course, you know, that's kind of typical. I'm just going to go help people. No, um, that wasn't really no. my thought. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't really my thought. I just wanted to be there. Um, I think, honestly, because I knew it was something that he was doing, and I wanted to be part of that. Um, you want to support your husband. I did. I did. I don't know that I've ever told him that, actually. But that that was my original 
originally my thought of why I wanted to start doing CR, but then in 2017, um, I actually started coming to the big group. And by this time, he was not doing it anymore because he got a a job that kept him from being part of it. So I was like, well, okay, I'm going to just go to a large group and just see what this is about because I do want to do something. I wanted to do, I just wanted to be involved in some kind of way. And I started doing a step study, and it apparently was not the right time for me to do that because it just it didn't work out. <laughs> and so I stopped it. Um, my mom passed away in January of 2017, and that changed so much in my life. Um, it changed the way that I, I look at every situation, really. And right after that, or a few months after that, I... Um, just started coming regularly and then I tried another step study the beginning of the next year because the more I went to big group the more I realized I need to make a change I need to make a change because during this whole time I'm still steady eating more I'm still I still have this anxiety I still have this depression I still have all of these things that I tried you know really hard to fix on my own and apparently that was not possible and so I I'm talking a lot about not really the question you asked me. Um, when I realized I had an addiction, actual addiction, was honestly when I started the very first lesson in the CR step study. Mm. And because it asked you, you know, the denial, the den- denial lesson, um, I was like, I was writing my answer just because, I mean, I I've, I know this. I know I have issues with food. So I was writing down my answer just, you know, happy. Then I remember stopping. And I was like, wait a minute. You know what? That was the very first step study I did, not even the one that I finished. That's right. So the one you said that you... Yeah, the one that wasn't working. It was, but now that I'm saying that, it was, because it made me realize I did have an addiction. (laughs) That's why it wasn't the right time. Right! No, no, let's put that down right now. (laughs) Let's stuff that back in the closet there. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, so I wrote down, yeah, when I wrote down my answer, I stopped mid-sentence, and I looked down, and I was like, okay, this really is an addiction it's not because it's taking over my life it is consuming food is consuming every single thing i do thinking about it you know prepping for it 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 was consuming everything and so that's that's pretty much the definition of what an addiction is we're powerless our life we've become unmanageable that's it and so that's when i realized that it was an actual addiction so then i got into the after a little while i got into the actual study and so when you did your step study, I mean, I, I know we don't have time for you to talk about everything that happened in there because it's such, I mean, it's eye-opening in a lot of different ways. But what are some of your big takeaways to share with the listeners? Um, the biggest thing that I got out of the step study was the it showed me that, yes, I have an addiction to food, but it showed me why. Um, it really opened my eyes to the fact that I just haven't felt good enough for anything. And that was, you know, my parents, that was boys at school, that was certain friendships, and that was uh, my relationship with God also. Um, I just didn't feel like I measured up at all. And I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't realize that that was really how I felt about every part of my life until I went through the step study. And when I realized that that was the case, I was like, okay, well, now now I can actually work through that. Now I can actually do what I need to do to get out of that thinking. Um, that was a big game changer for me 
when when that realization hit me that it doesn't matter um it doesn't matter what i'm doing it doesn't matter where where i'm at in my life i am good enough i am good enough mm-hmm. for you know christ in my life god in my life he he knows that um you don't have to i don't have to do certain things i don't have to make certain grades i don't have to look a certain way i don't i don't have to do that and because i i think like that now um it i'm almost like, i'm just going to be real honest it makes things easier because I don't have that same self-hatred and I don't have that same view of myself. But on the flip side, that makes the food situation a little harder because I don't have that as a motivator. And so I'm like, well, I'm, I'm good enough for, for God. I'm good enough now. I don't, I just don't think like that anymore. And so it's a little bit easier to stray away and get back into those old habits sometimes. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I've got one more question before I let Jason, um, finish up with our final four and it's 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 simply this that i hear um like in recovery um me being with drugs and alcohol in 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 my past and so sobriety is complete abstinence for me I, i can't use any of those things and as we talked about in the beginning in food addiction you just cannot not eat i mean you have to eat and so i guess my question is this is in with food addiction what does a relapse look like compared to that of like drug addiction? Um, I think I think it's different for everybody, but for me, I actually had to sit down with my sponsor and define that. And my biggest thing with the food addiction issues was that I would binge eat. Um, and so we sat down and wrote, and wrote out, you know, what what is binge eating? What does it feel like? What is your definition of it? And when I did that, like I said, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, when I defined that, we look, also looked at, well, what things lead you down that road? Um, and so we just identified certain behaviors, certain situations, things that might come up. Um, I get angry really fast. Usually when I get angry, really angry, I, I like to go eat. Um, that's just, just as an example. Um, you know, I get frustrated, stressed out, <laughs> you know, whatever that case may be. But I had to define that in certain, certain, uh, not steps, just certain things I had to define. And if it got to that point, if I saw myself going down that road and then had one instance of, of binge eating, then that was a relapse for me. So it's different for, I would for say it's different each person. Mm-hmm. That would be another reason why having a sponsor, Absolutely. especially with this addiction, I think would be really helpful um, because I mean, with drugs and alcohol, I mean, it's just like Roger said, it's just total abstinence. Right. You know, you can't do any of it. I'm not going to call my sponsor and be like, I ate this morning. Right. Well, of course you ate like, this morning. I hope you did. <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> but I can say, hey, I had this, I had this feeling and I, I do this regularly. I really want to eat all the nachos in the world because right. nachos are my thing. Um, I really want to eat all this, but um, I'm not going to. And by just simply by saying that I want to do this, it gets that out mm. and it gets it out of me. It gets it. It's like, okay, well now I've said this. And so it just makes it easier to not do it. Um, well, like I said, with, you know, you, I can't just, I mean, I can't eat no, no nachos for the rest of my life, but you know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's really cool that you say, I mean, not the nacho part, but it's really cool that you say that, um, that because really 
when you look at a drug addiction or your food addiction, it sounds the same. The, the mm-hmm. principles are the mm-hmm. same. Yeah. And Jason just shared, I think it was last week maybe, about how you know a problem shared is a problem divided. Mm-hmm. And that's what I heard you say just then. By by sharing, by telling on yourself, then you know you, you lose maybe the urge to yeah. want to go do that. It loses its it loses its power. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of does. Isn't that, isn't that like a some kind of... I don't know the real phrase, but once you speak something out loud, it loses its power over you. I use that with, with journaling. I say that a lot. When you yeah. put pen to paper, it loses it does. its power. Yeah. It does. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. There's a thing that I learned from one of the ladies that I went through step study with, and she literally does neuroscience. And so she told us that when you you have a thought, you when you think it, your brain reacts a certain way. When you write it down, your brain changes because you're getting that out pen to pen to paper it changes the the way that your brain is firing when you say it out loud it changes it again and so it literally Hmm. when you get something like that out of you in some kind of way it literally changes the way that your brain thinks about it Hmm. and that that was a big thing i was like oh wow then i really should journal and i really should talk about things because (laughs) it changes it It, it's not that same nagging thing gnawing at you anymore It, it changes it talking about how your brain's firing. I feel like mine's not hitting on all cylinders a lot of times. I can agree with that. Well, to, to wrap everything up, we have four, what are we calling them? Four fab questions. Four, I just call them the final four. Is the that final right? four? Yeah. The final four. Let's go with the final four. Four final four questions. Four final four I don't think you questions. said it very I just good. cracked myself up. Uh, so here we go. Number one, can you name a book... Other than the Bible, a book, movie, or a podcast that has changed the way you look at an area of your life. You mean a, a book other than the one written by the great literary genius Roger Bowes? Hey. Yeah. Other than that one? Yeah. No? Okay, yeah. Um, I'm going to go... This is not in any way related to uh, anything religious, anything godly, anything like that. That's okay. Sorry. Um, but there's a book that I read... When I was a young adult, um, it's called, it's by Wally Lamb and it's called She's Come Undone. I read that book about 12, 13 times at this point. Uh, and it's about a, a girl who grows up with a lot of the same, same way that I did. Hers were a little bit more, more intense in certain times, but she grew up the same way I did. And she, she had the same thoughts and she had the same views about herself. Um, even to the food was a big thing with that. And it's just something that I identified with. She had a lot of depression, anxiety issues that came along all rolled around with the food issue. Mm-hmm. And it was just really identified with it to and it to a really a big extent. So I would read that um, over and over and over, but it was one of, it's still one of my favorites. It's still on my bookshelf today. Say the name again. Wally is by Wally Lamb. It's called She's Come Undone. She's Come Undone mm-hmm. by Wally Lamb. Number two, if you had a blank billboard to share advice with the world, what phrase would you put on it? Oh, my goodness. What's one of Lacey's quotes? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know an exact quote, but it would be something along the lines of, don't let other people or situations define how you see yourself. That sounds like a pretty good quote. That to a good me. quote. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Lacey's quote from trademark. Yeah, it's Lacey etched. Reed. Yeah, Lacey Reed. <laughs> no, about <all> of it. <laughs> Number three, when talking about the twelve steps, what is your favorite step? Um, 
I think that changes. Um, that for me has, at least this past year for sure, has changed from time to time. Um, but right now, I would say that it's a toss-up between step 10 and step 12. Um, step 10 that says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Because that's the one that I have the biggest issues with. Like that's the one, that's the thing that I have had to really go back and remember the steps to do. And that's something that I put into practice um, every, every day. Um, I'm wrong every day. But I do promptly admit it these days. Um, even had my child say, say that the other day. So I was really excited. And then also the last one, um, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. That to me is where the rubber meets the road. And I think that's a big deal for me because I don't want to, I want to use it. I want to mm. use what, what I've gotten out of the steps. I want to use what I've learned about myself, about me in general, about God, my relationship with him, with others. I want to use that. And so that's, those are probably my favorites right now. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I, as far as that last one, what you just said, I think uh, one of my favorite quotes goes along with that with the 12 step and that's no pain is ever wasted in god's kingdom right you know being able to use what we've been through and the pain that we've been through to uh, benefit others and advance his kingdom is amazing so the last question is how can people reach you um probably email would be best and that is what is my email address now it's lk read lk r-e-i-d four one six eight zero at gmail.com perfect well i've really enjoyed the show because it has given me an insight into addiction you know a different type of addiction that i don't understand and that i've always wanted to hear you know a, a lot more about and i think it's also one of those addictions that it, it it's hard because it's so socially acceptable Right. And a lot of people probably have this addiction and they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that. They either don't know it or are embarrassed to, to talk about it. Yeah. And so I think more awareness about, about this particular addiction is will be very helpful. Well, that brings us to the end of another show. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.